I'm Toby Leary from Cape Gunworks. I'm passionate about all things Second Amendment. While I love to shoot... Going hot. There is so much more to guns than just pulling the trigger. A free and armed society is a responsible and self-reliant one. Join us to talk all things guns, freedom, and self-defense. It isn't just about being armed... It's about being responsibly armed. So load and make ready. This is Rapid Fire. Welcome to Rapid Fire, your weekly 2A talk radio show sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. Tune in each and every week at rapidfireradio.us to join the conversation. And now you can call or text the Rapid Fire line 508 2120 is the number if you want to be a part of the show, send us a text or leave us a message when we're not live on the air. You can also like and subscribe on all of our social media pages. We would really appreciate you guys helping us uh, with the defeat the evil algorithm that tries to keep our content down. And uh, it works very well, uh, <laughs> unfortunately for us. Uh, so like and subscribe wherever you get your social media our handle is at Rapid Fire Radio and at Cape Gunworks. Uh, we're trying to be as uh, prolific in both places as possible. We're putting out good content every day, and uh, we'd love it to love to see you there and interact with us, as so many of you already do. Uh, but like and subscribe and comment and share will help us grow the channel. So we appreciate that wherever you find your social media. Um, so this is. Another show on the heels of another mass shooting, and unfortunately, uh, the the masses, the the media, the the usual suspects, the David Hogs, the you know every town, the mayors against gun violence, all the typical people are you know still hitting hard for gun control, and it begs a question. Are people really that, and I ask this as genuinely as I possibly can, are they that ignorant to think that passing some sort of law would have prevented any of the mass shootings that have happened and occurred in the last 20 years? What law could you have passed that would have prevented somebody who already went in and legally passed, they're already participating in the system, if you will, that is set up and legally passing a background check and, you know, legally possessing the gun. Uh, what law could stare into the intentions of their heart that you could pass? I'll wait because I, I genuinely ask this because I really don't know if they're, Ignorant or dumb or both, uh, because I saw an exchange with um, it was I'm trying to remember who it was, but it was uh, two two senators. I'm sorry, two representatives talking on the House floor about gun control, and one of them was saying how 
you know, got into the constitutionality of why we have the Second Amendment. And as soon as he mentioned that it was to defeat a tyrannical government, the the other senator kind of went, I mean, the other congressman went, whoa, 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 like you're saying, you know, take up arms against the government. And how do you feel like you're safer if you have an AR-15? And the guy was genuinely asking the question, like, I, I need to know what you're thinking because I don't, I, I can't imagine myself in your shoes. And uh, I think it was Jerry Nadler and uh, um, Matt Gates, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that was the exchange. And uh, Matt Gates was basically educating him on what the intent of the Second Amendment was. And Jerry Nadler was like, what? Like, you really think you're going to be safer with an AR-15? And, and it was an interesting exchange because it seemed like Jerry Nadler was genuinely confused about what the intent of the Second Amendment was by our founders, A, and B, was um, skeptical that owning and possessing a gun makes you safer. So I, I'm curious as to, I can't, you know, sit him down and ask him these questions, but my question would be, um, A, what does the Second Amendment mean to you? And B, what does exercising your right to keep and bear arms look like? And C, what part of the constitutional or the amendment, second amendment to the constitution gives Congress any right to regulate or to infringe upon that right? With all the other rights, we have seen an expansion of them beyond what I think is even reasonable or plausible. Um, you look at the First Amendment, that has been construed to the point where I don't think it could be possibly recognizable. And we've gone along with it and been like, okay, I don't like it, but that's where we are. So in other words, you know, the whole, uh, and I'm not trying to get down a rabbit trail, but the pornographic industry, for instance, has been protected under First Amendment free speech protections. And maybe that's the right thing. I don't know. But I, I certainly don't think it was the intent of our founders to protect that as speech, especially when you look at some of the other laws that were on the books around the time of the ratification of 1791. But I digress and say, the First Amendment has taken on a new form and expanded the rights for the average person in, in this country. Not been restricted, it's been expanded upon. They've taken great latitude with the First Amendment. And I'm not saying we should go the other way. I'm just saying we have taken great poetic liberty or poetic you know, license with the First Amendment, and then the Second Amendment, which says, shall not be infringed, has been gone the other way and been greatly restricted and greatly um, infringed upon. And this can be said for just about any other amendment. And the argument has always been, yeah, but the Second Amendment has the potential to kill people. And... I say, 
it also has the potential to save life and preserve life. So we want to sit here and argue about what law could be passed to keep us safer from psycho, crazy, evil people. And I say there is none. There's not a law you can pass that could keep us safe, genuinely safe from evil intent of people. I mean, it took one set of offspring to have murder enter the world. You got Adam and Eve and then Cain and Abel, the very first set of offspring. Cain kills his brother Abel with a rock or a club or whatever he had as a weapon of expediency and convenience. I mean, it took one generation. And so now here we are with, uh, you know, 10,000 years of recorded history and everything that's happened since then. And people, you know, it should come as no surprise that evil exists in this world and that the people who are hell-bent on committing evil don't give a hoot about whatever law you're going to pass. So I'll wait over the break for someone to type into the chat a law that could be passed that will make everybody safe and will eliminate the evil in this world. I'll be waiting a long time, but anyway, uh, if, you, if you think I'm off my rocker here, give us a call 508-444-2120 and we have an exciting new pistol class series, Pistol 1 through 4 every Monday night. Go to capegunworks.com to sign up and we also have ladies only editions on Saturday, so check it out at capegunworks.com and we'll be right back. You're listening to Rapid Fire. Firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. Welcome back to Rapid Fire 508-444-2120 is the number if you want to be on the show. Leave a text, uh, leave a voicemail message, 508-444-2120 is the Rapid Fire line. We have a poll question. What is causing the uptick in gun sales? I've noticed it in the last few weeks here at the shop, and I'm sure it's it's catchy across uh, the nation. Uh my shop is a pretty good barometer for what's happening throughout the country. I've found it to be pretty consistent. So 
what is causing the uptick? You got four options. The threat of bans or laws, you know, new laws, the recent mass shootings that have happened. Oh my. People getting their tax returns or social unrest. Those are your four options. Go over to rapidfireradio.us, scroll down and uh, vote in the poll, or go to Twitter, Rapid Fire Radio, all one word on our Twitter page. Find us there. You can vote in the poll, and uh, we'll talk about the results as they come in on the show, but we'd love to know what you have to say about it. And um, also, this week's code is TRIGGER. We should have made it TRIGGERED, but <laughs> it's TRIGGER. Same thing. Same, same. Uh, so if you want to go to capegunworks.com and do all your shopping, and uh, just for our loyal radio and podcast and and online uh, live listeners, we have a special discount code that if you enter TRIGGER, it'll get you a savings off your entire order, no matter what you get. So it's a good deal. Um, so enter. And... Just to follow up with what I was talking about on the uh, before the break, um, I, I posed a question: What law could you pass that would prevent evil from occurring ever again in this country or ever again? And I know it's a rhetorical question. There's nothing you can do. There's no law that you can pass that'll change the intent of somebody's evil heart. We've seen it in Brussels, Belgium, where the guy rented a lorry. A uh, big truck for those of us in America, and drove it into a crowd that was celebrating New Year's. Um, we saw it in Waukesha, Wisconsin, where this uh, wannabe rap artist was um, frustrated with life or something, and and decided to drive his SUV into the crowd around Christmas and kill a lot of people. Um, we've seen it in Paris, where. Guns are banned. Certainly the quote-unquote assault weapon is banned. And we saw them shoot up a, uh, a theater and there was no way people could defend themselves. They were sitting ducks in a theater and uh, they were using uh, guns that were banned and they were not uh, even possible to, to obtain or acquire. But yet, guess what? Evil people still got them. And then they had unarmed prey at their, you know, to inflict mass casualties, as many as possible. And um, we've seen it, you know, in lots of different places, even where guns are completely banned. Uh, Brussels, Belgium, Paris, like I said, uh, that train from, uh, what was that movie, the the train from... Uh, it was on that speed train from London to uh, Paris or something like that. Uh, yeah, and that was actually performed by the, f- the four guys that actually w- had it happen or something. They were the actors in the video, uh, in the movie. Um, but anyway, th- this terrorist boarded the train with a bag of magazines and an AK-47 in a gun-free zone. S- say it ain't so. It's unbelievable. Um, but we know that evil will descend upon you know, people who are least likely and able to defend themselves. And so I proffer a question, and that is, if we know that to be the case, why do we think continuing the kill zone loophole, making gun-free zones, 
are a good idea, and B, disarming people who could actually stop the the event from happening from happening why do we want to make it harder for them to obtain weapons that could help end the threat quicker and the only conclusion i can draw from from that question is that they don't really care about you the people about keeping you safe about keeping you uh you know if they really cared about keeping people safe and i mean there's a total uh problem with uh fentanyl in this country there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people dying every day and what do we do we give them a safe injection site we give them stuff to rope off and hold you know the blood flow and give them clean needles and a judgment-free zone to shoot up we give them narcan uh response kits so they they can continue to buy this drug and someone can Narcan them back to life so that they can get another high on another day. And that's how we treat the fentanyl crisis in this country. The proof is in the pudding. You don't want to save and prevent loss of life. You want to perpetuate it because you continue with failed policies like kill zone loophole, kill zones. You perpetuate uh, you know, taking and disarming good people. You want to continue to make it harder for good people to obtain firearms. All the while, you're doing it in a zone or in a place or in a space that you yourself created. So you made it harder for good people to defend themselves. You're making it cost prohibitive for people to um, obtain their weapons because they're, they have to spend hundreds of dollars on training classes and jumping through the hoops that you set up. Meanwhile, criminals and the criminally insane are doing none of this. They know they can get weapons. They know they can get arms. They know they can get guns on the black market, steal it, uh, kill for it, whatever whatever the case is. And then uh, they they have defenseless people to to go ahead and commit their heinous acts against. And then you have the narrative to to perpetuate. You can continue to pound your drum of, this is why we need to ban guns. This is why I'm looking at a tweet right now from uh, Kamala Harris, the vice president of the United States, says, let's get it done. And it's a big orange square that says, ban assault weapons. And meanwhile, she stood and upheld her right hand, placed her left hand on a Bible, and said, and swore, she solemnly swore, to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Then she goes out and tweets this. You hear Joe Biden time and time again threatening our rights, threatening our constitutional rights, banning assault weapons, banning uh, features on weapons, banning magazine capacity, none of which is allowable under the text, history, and tradition of the Second Amendment. None of which is given... That None of that power is given to Congress. It's not given to the executive branch. It's not given to the judicial branch. No one can do that without a constitutional amendment to the Constitution. And I think our founders spoke very clearly when they said shall not be infringed. And And that's the point. But they're pounding the drum. They're beating the drum. The mantra is ban, 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 as if that will make any difference whatsoever. The Tennessee governor just signed an executive order uh, further um, requiring that law enforcement in Tennessee 
reports to the Tennessee instant check system any crime. Like these book, these laws are already on the books. And you got to have a governor do an executive order to say, hey, you guys better follow the law. And the point is, uh, they don't. The people in power don't. And Massachusetts had to uh, pass a resolution a few years ago saying, oh, we're going to make sure that we tell law enforcement agencies to report to the National Instant Check System. We're going to make it a state law that you have to. Well, guess what? They don't all do it, even though they made a state law. There's also state laws like you have to, you're, you, you know, when you apply for your license to carry, they have to respond within 40 days. Guess what? They never do. Even though it's a law, the state doesn't respond within 40 days. And that's a cumulative thing. The state, I, I encompass the local law enforcement and the state background check, whatever, whoever the heck. You know, the Firearms Record Bureau, the uh, Department of Correction, which is funny that they administer the licenses, and uh, the uh, or the Department of Criminal Justice, I should say, and the local law enforcement, they all have to collaborate and get together and respond within 40 days. They never do. Every once in a blue moon they do, the stars align. But for the most part, the rule is three to six, uh, sorry, one to three months. And they know that when you go in and ask how long should it take? Oh, it's going to take one to three months. Well, wait a minute. The state law says you have to respond within 40 days. <laughs> yeah, those are laws for somebody else. We don't have to abide by those. And the same thing is true, uh, you know, with all these government agencies are required by law to report to the National Instant Check System. And they don't. And there's no one being held accountable. They just want to always blame the law-abiding responsible gun owner for the lack of performance of government officials and also for the heinous acts of evil perpetrated by evil, crazy psychopaths. And, you know, you can hear the frustration in my voice uh, because I've heard this same narrative for 30 years. And the bottom line is, uh, you know, you hear people say like, oh, if it'll just save one or two lives, isn't it all worth it? Um, Nope, you wouldn't hold yourself to that same standard when it comes to automobiles. You know, there's car accidents in this country every year, every day, and thousands of people a year are, are killed by automobiles. And you're not willing to save just one life by walking to work? Of course not. Nobody is. So why are you willing to make that leap of logic to apply that same uh, fraudulent thinking or that same uh, ludicrous thinking and apply it to any other area of your life. You could apply it to swimming pools, to knives, to baseball bats, to sharp pointy objects, to bricks and stones and ball peen hammers, but we don't. Only to guns. It's the only one we use them. Can you split a playing card? That's a question for you. John Colas, author of the book Pistol Practice, will be conducting a special class at Cape Gunworks on Saturday, April 22nd. Go to capegunworks.com and click on the training calendar and look for John Colas to sign up. It's going to be a fascinating class and you'll get a free copy of his book if you take his class. So you don't want to miss out. Uh, We will be right back. This is Rapid Fire. Too hard to leave shots like these to chance. Now you never have to compromise performance again. 
federal premium heavy bismuth. Hits ducks and upland birds with 9.6 gram per cubic centimeter pellets sourced from heavy shot. 22% denser than steel. More energy downrange. Launched by the Flight Control FlexWad, heavy bismuth patterns consistently and is safe in all shotguns. Loaded in the USA by Federal Ammunition. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. Phone number here is 508-444-2120. It's 508-444-2120. And don't forget our poll question of the day. It is what is causing the uptick in gun sales. You can go over to rapidfireradio.us or you can go to twitter.com and vote in our poll. It's Rapid Fire Radio, all one word. And what is causing the uptick in gun sales? The threat of ban bans or new laws coming out recent shootings, tax returns coming in, or social unrest. And currently, uh, we have the threat of new laws and bans at 50% is causing the uptick. 0% on the recent shootings at schools or uh, public mass shootings. Uh, 16% say tax returns, and 33% say social unrest. So go ahead and vote in our poll. We'll read about it later. And uh, tell us what you think. Call or text 508-444-2120. And this week's winner of the giveaway, we gave away this Pelican ruck case, this personal ruck case, uh, goes to Thomas M. So look for an email from us. You're the winner of this Pelican case. And we're giving away a $25 gift card to Cape Gunworks. You can use it online on our uh, website or you can use it in store towards whatever purchase you're making. Uh, so we're giving that away this week. So go to rapidfireradio.us and sign up to win. You too could be a winner. Um, so go to rapidfireradio.us, scroll down a bit, and you'll enter the see the contest and enter it. And we'll pull the winner on next, next week's show. And don't forget the discount code this week is trigger. But uh, anyway, so um, yeah, I'm going to jump right into the chat because I've said a lot so far and I've, I got a lot off my chest. Uh, <laughs> um, oh yeah, you know what? Actually, I want to say one more thing. And uh, G Webs, you just pointed it out because you talked about Tony Simon, um, and uh, Tony Simon had a great post today on the people who make the argument of trying to save lives. They they want to disarm the population so that they can save people's lives, but yet the biggest mass killer of Americans is guess what? The federal government. Look at your history. So you want to put a concentrated uh, regulate, uh, regulate power concentrated into the hands of government officials who have already proven that they have killed more Americans than any other sector of society. Uh, and you want to just give them all the power and disarm willfully and uh, willingly disarm and then leave all the power or the arms in the hands of government. I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. Yeah, uh, I'm going to take a hard pass on that. Um, you can ask Randy Weaver how that worked out for him. You can ask Waco, Texas, uh, the Branch Davidians, how that worked out for them. The problem is they're all charred remains. Uh, maybe you could ask 
David Chipman, who posed for the picture in the smoldering remains of Waco, and say, hey, uh, you know, hey, guys, just wondering, uh, what'd you go to Waco for? Oh, because you suspected that they had a machine gun that they hadn't paid a $200 tax on. Hmm. But yet 140-something people died. Uh, because you wanted to go collect your two hundred dollar transfer tax. Meanwhile, they had something which was the predecessor to the uh, binary triggers we have today, or the tack on triggers, or the uh, the force reset triggers. Something called a uh, hellfire trigger of the day that they were using, and uh, they showed up and you know guns blazing. Uh, same as um, same as uh, Ruby Ridge, Randy Weaver, who you know, cut a shotgun a half an inch too short or an inch too short. And they shot his wife while she held their newborn baby, shot the kid, shot the dog. And, you know, unbelievable. Uh, So that's your government at work against disarmed uh, Americans. So, uh, well, maybe they weren't disarmed. They did have arms. uh, But still, that's they they met it with overwhelming firepower. In fact, Janet Reno's attorney general, uh, A.G., uh, Department of, uh, you know, the, uh, what the heck is it? The, uh, <laughs> the <laughs> Janet Reno's department. Oh, you lost me. Uh, Janet Reno, uh, her whole department there showed up with tanks. I thought it was against the law to use military stuff against uh, civilians. But anyway, so Tony Simon had a good point. Government is the number one uh mass killer of Americans and you want to put all of the weapons in their hands and disarm. Nope, not going to happen. So anyway, tell us what you think. Give us a call or text 508-444-2120 is the rapid fire line. And let's hit up the chat here. Uh, Let's see. uh, Davey was saying that we could start with reopening the mental institutions they closed. And that's something no one has the stomach for anymore. And I I was chatting with someone on my Instagram page who took me to task. And I was really, you know, interested in this engagement because they were basically saying uh, that the the gun owners have no interest in doing anything that's going to be meaningful as far as regulation or background checks or red flag laws and all this stuff. And, uh, of course, what they what she really meant was assault weapons ban, magazine capacity bans, and et cetera, et cetera. But I had to you know interact with her for quite a while to flush that out. But um, the point is, um, you, you know, she blamed us that we have no intention of uh, you know, participating in any meaningful regulation. And I would say I agree because there's no such thing as meaningful regulation when you aren't dealing with the mental health issues. There there was, there was some serious uh, mental illness out there uh, that was dealt with on a much better, in a much better way 30, 40 years ago. And now we do nothing except just make them homeless and give them a check and keep them medicated as long as possible and hope they don't go crazy. But I said in this interaction was, if someone has been adjudicated as mentally defective and is a threat or a harm to themselves or others, they should be institutionalized. There's no reason to risk society. If you want to save the life of one person, then you would lock away someone who is a threat to themselves or other and has been 
adjudicated as mentally defective and is probably going to reoffend to a certain extent. Uh, there's places you you know for that the criminally insane. I used to do a Bible study at a. Uh, um, it was basically the equivalent of a maximum security prison for the criminally insane. It was a state hospital uh, that was a max maximum security facility. And most of the people that were in there serving basically um, not a sentence, but, you know, had, had been adjudicated as uh, mentally defective or they've committed a crime that they were found not guilty by reason of insanity. Uh, so therefore, they're never going to really see the light of day again. Uh, but they were uh, institutionalized because they are a threat to themselves or others. And as I used to go there once a week or a couple times a month, I I got to know a lot of them. And, and uh, some of them, yeah, even if they made a remarkable change as far as uh, spiritually, they've repented of their sin and they've gone on to become a productive person in this institution, I don't think they should ever get out of jail again because they're a threat to themselves or they've committed an act that is so heinous that they need to serve their sentence. So the bottom line is there's people on this earth that should not be walking around and our legal system allows them to just go out, you know, on their own personal recognizance and, you know, pay a small fee or a small bail or bond. And they're right back out on the street, ready to reoffend. And they have felony, uh, violent felonies pending and they sometimes reoffend two or three times while they're w- awaiting trial. It's crazy. Um, Mike has a good point that they want it where all guns are illegal, and that's true. They are. Uh, they won't be happy until every gun is in the hands of government officials, and we know how that works out. You can ask Mao Zedong how that worked out. You can ask uh, the uh, Khmer Rouge. You can ask. Um, Pol Pot, you can ask Adolf Hitler, you can ask a lot of uh, world dictators, and they all wanted the same thing. They they didn't want their masses to be able to defend themselves. Ask the British when they came to get the powder and the guns from the colonists in Concord and Lexington. Uh, we had a little bit different take on that, though, uh, which actually birthed the greatest nation in the history of mankind. And it needs to get its head out of its you-know-what if it wants to continue uh, with that title. Um, I think we have a long way to go before that title is gone, especially when you, you know, compare it to other countries. But the bottom line is we need to do a better job. We need to do a better job as far as mental illness is concerned. Uh, we need to do a better job as uh, people who care in our communities and uh, we need to stop blaming the people who aren't responsible. That's the way I see it. Strappa says the argument that should apply to cars or any number of things that kill more people. Actually, more people die by suicide. How do we stop that by eliminating people? Yeah, uh, I see what you did there. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Like two-thirds of all gun-related deaths or firearms-related deaths are suicide. And you know, it is unfortunate. It's a terrible statistic. The good news is um, we have made some great progress on that front. And I think that, uh, you know, there's more progress to be made uh, in that area. But there's great organizations like Walk the Talk America, uh, Brooke Cheney, who 
you know, jumps in the chat here and there, has a Saturday show that she does and talks about suicide prevention, suicide awareness. Um, the NSSF is doing a fabulous job about that as well. Um, and G-Web says perhaps ask them to get the guns from the criminals first besides disarming victims and law-abiding. I agree. Uh, great point. And don't forget to check out Date Night every Friday and Ladies Night Thursdays or try our range experience package. You don't need a gun license to do that uh, for any instructor-led event. So um, we'd love to see you here at Cape Gunworks. And you're listening to Rapid Fire. We'll be right back. I'm Toby Lee. for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show all things guns, freedom, second amendment, and self-defense. And it's time, I'm not going to try and do my Bruce Buffer impersonation like I did on that Instagram post last week because it failed miserably. It's time for the gun of the week. Uh, Rapid Fire gun of the week is a fun part of the show that we showcase an interesting gun that catches my attention. Uh, (laughs) And if you want to give me some suggestions on what you'd like to see as the gun of the week, you can. Uh, but it needs to meet very strict criteria. Number one, it has to be interesting to me. Number two, it needs to be uh, a cool gun. And number three, uh, something I can sell you. Because, you know, I'd love to showcase guns that I can't sell you, but it's kind of uh, counterproductive because I show you a cool gun that everybody wants, and then I answer 4,000 emails as how how I can't sell it in Massachusetts. So we try to keep it to guns I can sell in Massachusetts. And Smith & Wesson has done a gun that, hey, that rhymed, has done this gun uh, called the CSX that is a really cool gun. I got to see this in pre-production uh, model before it was released to the public. And uh, at first I was a little skeptical of it. I thought, hmm, you know, is this is there really another market for this? Uh, because there's already like the go back to the Colt Mustang. It was a nine millimeter, three eighty, uh, nineteen eleven style single action pistol, subcompact single action pistol. I know those of you in free states have had the Kimbers available for a long time, uh, stuff like that. And uh, but Sig recently came out with their nine thirty eight and their two thirty eight, uh, and introduced those to the market. Then Springfield released the nine eleven, and so I'm like, geez, are we already Create it. Were we creating a gun that in an already cluttered market? However, I think they knocked a few things out of the park with this gun. Number one, it comes with an ambidextrous 
mag release, so you can put the mag catch on either side. Number two, it has an ambidextrous thumb safety, which is really cool. Um, I know some of the SIG ones do as well. Uh, and the other thing that's neat is it has a ambidextrous slide stop for those of you who are wrong-handed and you want to have the slide stop on the right side of the gun. Uh, this one has it on both. So it is truly an ambi gun, which is very unique to the 1911 style uh, platform because most of them, even if they have an ambi safety, you're never going to have that ambi slide stop. Um, the other thing that's nice about this gun is it came in a double stack mag configuration, so it's 10 rounds. Even though it's a really tiny subcompact size, it's still 10 rounds. And uh, the safety is very easy to manipulate. It's, um, it's not a very hard one to defeat. Um, and then there's also a trigger safety, like a striker-fired pistol. So I found that to be unique as well for this type of gun. So um, really, really cool little gun. Uh, and I think if you live in a free state, you can get a 12-round mag for this. Uh, but those of us here in Massachusetts have 10-round capacity limit. It does have front caulking serrations to it. Um, and so those of you listening online might be getting a little gun ASMR in the sound here. But um, it's a really cool gun, all metal frame, uh, good grip texture. It's got an um, a, a interchangeable back strap to it. And all that for the price of $599 for a cool subcompact hammer-fired single-action pistol with a double-stack 9mm magazine. So it's a neat gun. We got them in stock at Cape Gunworks. And you can use go over to uh, rapidfireradio.us and use code GOW. If you scroll down to the gun of the week on checkout, you'll get that special savings on this. Uh, but I just thought it was a pretty cool gun to showcase. Smith did a good job on it, and uh, we got them. We have one on our range as well if you want to try it out before you buy. So we will be right back. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Toby Leary. Personal Defense Network. For years, we've been the internet's leading destination for high quality information on equipment, training, and your preparation for personal or home defense. Our videos are meant for those who are serious about enhancing their ability to use efficient techniques to survive a dynamic critical incident. But now we've stepped things up even higher. We've added hours of high quality training videos just for our premium members. This content takes the body of work that is the Personal Defense Network up to an even higher level. Our goal at the Personal Defense Network is simple. Provide you with the highest quality video learning tips that are available. You'll find them inside of the premium membership. All you have to do is choose how to get started, and I'll see you on the inside. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. Glad you're here, and I'm glad you're listening and following along on the chat, and I have KJ correcting my poor English. It's not ambidextrous, it's ambidextrous. Thank you, KJ. I appreciate that. That's what you guys are here for, to keep me straight. Uh, and speaking the proper grammar and the Queen's English. Uh, and I got to say, um, I get made fun of for my accent a lot because, you know, whenever, especially when I go out west and I have family in Colorado and they, they're like, ah, oh, say car again, you know, and I'm like, when I was a kid, it was always ca, you know, but nowadays I, I pronounce my R's and stuff like that. But 
regardless, someone usually can figure out that I'm from uh, the People's Republic of Massachusetts. And I, I often say that where's Plymouth Rock located? It's in Massachusetts. And by the way, yes, my ancestors did come over on the Mayflower. Um, so we were here first. I think that our accent sets the tone for the rest of you all to follow. I think the rest of the country gets it wrong, and we we get it right because we were here first. Just saying, you know, that go west young man didn't happen until the 1800s, so we were here 1620. Just saying. But anyway, um, let's get back to the chat, and uh, I'll learn how to pronounce words. In you my, are fake news. On my own, so I don't waste you got your time. Uh our politicians watch as Ukraine hands out machine guns to their people and at the same time try to take guns from us. Yeah, that's a hypocrisy. Good point right there. And I've even heard gun controllers who want to make it illegal to possess an AR-15 in, the, in this country advocate for why it's a good idea for Ukraine to hand out fully automatic machine guns to their citizens at the local PD with no background check. Just show up, get the gun, and go shoot the Russians. Uh they have no issue with that. They say, yeah, well, they're at war. They should have access to arms. And I'm like, do you think it's a coincidence that our, our country's never been invaded? Just saying. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> uh, you know, anyway. Um, Wolverines? Wolverines, yeah. Uh, we should do a show someday about the about the Wolverines. Red Dawn. I know uh, G-Webs is a big fan. And we have a customer that actually owns one of the the AK-47s that was used in the, in the, uh, in the movie. So it was pretty cool. It was a Steyr Mahdi that was kind of reconfigured to look like the Russian one. Uh, but anyway, so maybe we'll do something about that someday. You never know. Um, all right, and let's get back to the chat here. Uh, and don't forget the poll question today. Um, what's causing the uptick in gun sales? The threat of bans or new laws, recent shootings, tax returns, or social unrest? So find the poll question at rapidfireradio.us and or go over to Twitter, and it's rapidfireradio, all one word, and the poll results so far are the threat of bans is still trending at 50% and recent shootings is 12 has fallen to 12%. Tax returns is at 12% and social unrest is at 25%. So there you have it. Make your voice heard. Go over to Cape Gunworks. I'm sorry, go over to rapidfireradio.us and vote because we need to hear from you. All right. Let's see. Uh, 500 says, you definitely can yell fire in a crowded theater despite what the anti-gunners say. I don't know about that. Maybe you can, and I highly doubt they're going to prosecute you for it unless it creates a stampede where 20 people die trying to get out. Um, But you never know. Uh, And Mike points out that's why the founders said, shall not be infringed. Yeah, they know human nature. (laughs) Even with those words, look at how far we've been infringed upon. And... People often say, well, do you want anyone to be able to buy a gun? And it's like, anyone who's a productive member of society, yes. 
who wants a gun should be able to buy one. Well, wait a minute, Toby. What is it? What do you mean by that? I mean any free person should be able to buy a gun. Well, what about felons? Well, what about felons? Let's look at that. Under Massachusetts law, you are technically a felon for a first offense OUI or driving while intoxicated. The funny thing is that makes you a, or the irony is it makes you a prohibited person for life in whatever state you move to. If you get a first offense OUI, DWI in this state, you are now a prohibited person no matter where you live in the country because you were charged with a crime that could be punishable by two and a half years in prison. Therefore, you are now a prohibited person for life. However, guess what we do? We restore your driving privileges. In some cases, you don't even get them taken away, but you know, at the very least, you're going to get them restored. Maybe you lose your license for 180 days or something. So you only have to walk around for 180 days, but you can never buy a gun for the rest of your life. And that is wrong. Under the Constitution, that's wrong. 100% unconstitutional. And they've been getting away with it for years because uh, they, they've enforced it. And the, I think if someone's paid their debt to society, paid their fine, paid their fee, done their time, and they are restored, then their rights should be restored. If they are a career criminal, don't let them out. If they are a violent thug, lock them away. Stop letting them out, and we don't have to worry about them anymore. And there, that just leaves the rest of us to go about our life and be left alone by government and be an armed and polite society and we can go out and do good acts of kindness and we can, you know, live our peaceful lives. But when you continue to let criminals out, you continue to let the criminally insane out. And, you know, yeah, don't get me started again down that. <laughs> Just rewind the tape and listen to the beginning of this show. Um, all right. So the TSA was formed with two months of the 9-11 terror attacks why is there no school TSA? How many years since Columbine, Parkland, Uvalde? Yeah, that's true. Um, you're 100% true, G-Webs, and he's pointing out Tony Simon's Twitter page that they formed the TSA pretty quick. And, you know, that's that's one of the arguments that I make a lot against the kill zone uh, loophole, against gun-free zones, is you can't guarantee my safety just by putting a sign up that says gun-free zone. In fact, you're making it a kill box. You're making it an attractant to psychopaths. So I'm less safe there than I could be anywhere else I could be in, in America where I can legally carry a gun. There's exceptions to this, of course, like airports where you're not going to ever bring back the right to keep and bear arms in an airport. Plus, you have a whole international community and you have uh, people coming and going. And so the, it kind of makes sense to regulate arms in airports um, the way they do it. And I think they do a very good job of it. But guess what you have to do? You have to go through multiple security screenings and you have to declare firearms, lock them, unload them, put them in checked luggage and et cetera, et cetera. And then you go through metal, metal detectors, you get swabbed, you get sometimes your bags searched, sometimes they put it in the explosion detector, all that stuff. Because people, they recognize that people are trying to blow planes out of the air. And it's not good for business if planes get blown out of the air. 
and hundreds of people die. If that was a weekly occurrence, no one would fly. They'd drive everywhere. (laughs) But it's not a weekly occurrence. It's rare because of the pains that TSA and the, uh, you know, officials have taken to ensure that once we disarm people, we also have to make sure that this doesn't happen on our watch. So same thing with like football stadiums or soccer stadiums or, uh, I went to a Bruins game a few weeks ago. And guess what? I had to go through metal detectors. My wife's bag was searched and, uh, there's cops everywhere with guns. So yes, they disarmed me. But they put good things in place to ensure that psychopaths carrying guns and bombs and stuff aren't going to make it in and create a, a you know have a mass killing in those environments. They're going to have to walk through a metal detector with a huge police presence. And I think it was Kentucky of all places. The irony of what just happened in Louisville, but Kentucky passed a similar law that if you're going to create this kill zone, uh, like a gun-free zone, then you have to personally protect the people that you're disarming from being able to be killed by nefarious actors. So I think that's a good law. I think our schools, it's the biggest no-brainer. It should just be uh, done. It should have been done after Columbine. Um, We've been dealing with the same issue in our country for 30 years, and you know, no one wants to do anything about it. And they could have done it a long time ago. And now, finally, we're starting to see some states, our state included, there's House Bill 611, sponsored by Stephen Exaros, to get school resource officers armed in every public school in our state. And the same thing should happen in every state. I don't know why schools aren't rushing to do that. And I know you could say, oh, well, Uvalde was supposed to have a school resource officer and he called in sick that day or had to leave the school for whatever reason. I get that, but make sure that doesn't happen. Someone armed should be at the school every day. Um, yeah, that's how I feel about it, and it should be done right away. Um, let's see. How's the handgun roster looking in mass? I'm glad you brought that up, 500, because we had oral arguments last week in the Firearms Policy Coalition case and the the state First Circuit Court of Appeals ruled on the matter last Friday. And basically, um, they remanded it back to the district court. So the district court had dismissed this case because this court, this uh, had already been tried a couple times and dis- and it was upheld. So our handgun roster had been upheld in district court a couple times. So this latest lawsuit taken by Firearms Policy Coalition uh, was dismissed because it's already been upheld a couple times. So they appealed to the First Circuit Court after Bruin and this three-judge panel, uh, which I listened to the oral arguments, it was fascinating. They basically said, in light of Bruin, we're remanding this back to district court to be to stand trial so they're going to have a uh the lawsuit is able to go forward now in district court i think we're a ways off we're going to see uh either side appeal it probably up to the first circuit and whoever wins in the first circuit appeal it'll probably get appealed up to the supreme court and then we'll see if the supreme court takes the case or just says hey we already ruled on this under bruin see bruin and remands it and gvrs it back down so it could be a couple years but anyway Thank you for tuning in. And remember, the show ends here, but it goes on for another hour. So you got to tune in at rapidfireradio.us. 
or call or text the Rapid Fire line, 508-444-2120. Go to rapidfireradio.us and ask questions and check out some of our online content. Freedom will always be on the right side of history. So jump over to the second hour of the show. We have Mark Oliva from the NSSF next. You don't want to miss it. If you're hearing on the radio, get over on the podcast. We'll see you soon. I'm Toby Leary, and this is Rapid Fire. May your tag of a lifetime finally come through. May the snow pile up and the elk come down. May your socks always stay dry. May the herd bull finally break from the herd. And may your aim always stay true. Welcome to the next level. Welcome to the Vortex. Once you're involved in something like this, the stress level... It can tear up a family. He said he was tried in the court of public opinion before he ever stepped foot in a courtroom, but surveillance video helped shed light on what actually happened. 50-year-old Ford employee Billy Cohort was charged with attempted murder for shooting his gun in the United Auto Workers 551 parking lot in June 2016. To have everything you work for taken away. Cohort was suspended and then terminated from his job with Ford, where he'd worked for nearly two decades. To have somebody have your back and have a company that have your back, and then they put me in touch with a great attorney. That was the best feeling. Go to uscca.com to learn more about protecting yourself and your family. Alexander Hamilton said, those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. This is Toby from Cape Gunworks. When our founding fathers drafted the Second Amendment, there was no question of its meaning. Today, if you have questions, come to Cape Gunworks for some advice, training, or to send a few rounds downrange. We have a fully stocked pro shop with a huge selection of guns, crossbows, archery, classes, rentals, a 15-lane range, and a friendly staff. Come on down to Cape Gunworks Airport Road, Hyannis, or capegunworks.com. For quite a long time, duck hunters have been shooting steel, but in the past few years, you've really seen a resurgence of a material called bismuth. And what bismuth is, it's got a density a lot closer to lead than steel, where, where steel's density is right around 7.8 or so, and lead's right around 11 grams per cc. Bismuth comes in about 9.6. So just to kind of lay it out for you, if you've got two objects flying at the same speed, the one that is denser at the same speed is gonna hit a lot harder. So a great example is like how we're hunting today. We're out, we're out here on the, we're literally hunting a bay on the ocean, fantastic spot. 
but the wind's coming in pretty hard. Normally shooting the size ducks like the Eurasian Visions and Teals that we're shooting at today, I would probably choose to shoot like a, a number four steel, but because the wind's higher, I would maybe go to a number two because I'd get more energy and let the, let the steel carry further. Bismuth allows you to go one shot size smaller and still hit the bird just as hard as you would. Now what that allows you to do, we're shooting a number three shot today, so we're getting all the pellets of a number three load but we're getting all the energy of a number two steel shot. So it's gonna hit harder, it's really gonna extend your range, still meets all the lead-free requirements everywhere you are. Just a great product, and you'll definitely notice the power that you hit the birds with. Another thing with the Federal Premium Heavy Bismuth is we're shooting the flight control wad. So you can choke that with any choke you want, whether that's ported or not, getting incredibly tight patterns. Again, more pellets on the bird, just hits them hard. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, a 2-8 talk radio show sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. Tune in each and every week at rapidfireradio.us to join the conversation. And now you can call or text the Rapid Fire line 508-444-2120. And you can like and subscribe on all of our social media platforms. Our handle is at Cape Gunworks and at Rapid Fire Radio on Facebook Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, all the usual big tech suspects, plus some of the alternative ones. So you want to make sure you tune in each and every week. Like, subscribe, share, and comment wherever you find your social media. And uh, consume the media that we provide because it's good content rolling out every week. Uh, But we want to really uh, extend a welcome to uh, Mark here from the NSSF. Mark, Oliva is the Managing Director of Public Affairs from the National Shooting Sports Foundation. And for those of you who might not know, the NSSF is the industry connection between the, they're kind of the center of the web for the whole shooting sports industry between manufacturers, retailers, uh, you know, distributors and ranges and everything else. But um, Mark, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate you coming on. You know, thanks for having me. It's a real treat to be able to talk to you today. And, and I appreciate you explaining to people what NSSF is. A lot of people uh, don't know. We are the ones who own SHOT Show. We're the ones who put it on every year. But if uh, if you kind of think about it this way, we represent all your manufacturers, your firearm manufacturers, ammunition makers, your retailers, your ranges, your distributors. We do everything to make sure that that gun and that box of ammo can get to the gun counter. And then once it gets across the counter to you as a gun owner, that's where a lot of the other groups will take up for you and protecting your right to be able to keep and bear arms. Mm, Awesome. Yeah, and and I'm thankful that you guys exist in that space because we need it. You know, it's uh, it's people talk about the gun lobby and the NRA and all this stuff, but very few people ever really talk about – what it means within the industry to have someone who's uh, advocating uh, for us. And, and, you know, you guys also get involved politically uh, for legislative work as well, correct? Certainly. We're, we're always engaged on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. 
you know, trying to advocate for those uh, those bills that we think are going to help advance uh, the the industry and make it better for the industry to operate. And make sure that we are uh, able to you know conduct our business within the confines of the law and the regulations that are that govern our industry. Uh, we're also engaged in the state capitals, and we're we're trying to do the same thing there. So, in all fifty state capitals, we're engaged in those in those arenas there to make sure that we're advancing that legislation that we think is going to help the industry be able to operate in a smoother and, and more efficient manner. And also to try and block legislation uh, that is going to be harmful to the industry and, and also harmful to you as a gun owner. And I think that's pretty evident today when we see uh, states like Illinois that are passed, you know, bans on modern sporting rifles. We're seeing the same thing being pushed through Washington State right now as we're talking. And because of the supermajorities that we see in states like Washington and Oregon and California, it becomes very difficult to, to kind of stop some of this legislation. So, you know, we're doing everything we can to stop it, to slow it down, to, to deter it. To, to kind of warn those legislators that they don't want this legal fight because that's where a lot of this is going to end up. And, and that's where you're seeing NSSF also engaged with a lot of the other groups as well and, and challenging some of these unconstitutional laws. We're, we're challenging Illinois' uh, ban on modern sporting rifles and, and standard capacity magazines as soon as we as we expect that the governor instantly will sign Washington's uh, ban there. And, and as soon as he does, we expect that we'll be challenging it there. Mm. We're challenging laws in, in New York and in New Jersey and in Delaware about uh, laws that they've recently passed to make it so you could sue gun makers for the crimes committed by remote third parties. So when a criminal goes out, takes a stolen firearm and uses that to kill somebody, they want that victim's family to be able to sue the gun maker. Well, that would be just like going back and suing Ford or Budweiser for the death caused by a drunk driving accident. Mm. It wasn't the instrument that caused the death. It was the person who broke the law. And that's what the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act is about. And that's what we helped get that law passed in in a bipartisan manner in 2005 and that still has supremacy and that's what we're trying to remind these states that are considering these laws and pushing these up that the PLCAA still exists. It has been upheld by courts of appeal as constitutional. The Department of Justice itself has actually defended this law. So it is uh, it is always a fight uh, because the, the opposition is well-funded uh, by, by billionaires like George Soros, by Michael Bloomberg, uh, and, and you've got uh, you know politicians up to include the president who continue to spew lies, straight-out fabrications of what the law is. Just last week, I was called by PolitiFact asking about, you know, well, the president said that you can't own a machine gun. Is that true? And it's absolutely untrue. You can. It's extremely restrictive. It's very tough and it's very expensive to do it because you have to buy a firearm, an automatic firearm that was made before May 19th of 1986, and, and those are going to be in the tens of thousands of dollars to be able to own, which, which I had to explain to these people. But the president doesn't even seem to care. The White House doesn't seem to care. We're seeing that more and more in these state houses, too, that they don't care about what the Constitution says anyway. They're going to see you in court. They don't mind spending the money just to tie us up. Yeah, that's you raise a great point, and that is that look at what um, you know Washington State's doing right now and uh, what New York's already done, what Maryland and all these other states are doing. They're rushing to pass laws that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt, are unconstitutional, and especially in light of Bruin, but they're going to do it anyway. And all that's doing is costing the taxpayers money because they're playing with house money. And then they're also, it's a double whammy to the to the taxpayer because it's our tax money being used to defend against this unconstitutional law, and it's our money supporting 
groups and causes like NSSF and Firearms Policy Coalition and GOA and all that other stuff. So uh, we have to spend money twice to get to maintain our rights, which is crazy. It and, is not. See, imagine yeah. if you could hold those those attorneys general responsible for the misuse of your money to go chasing unconstitutional laws. Imagine if you could call them into court and reclaim that money. But again, you're talking about the fact that they're playing with your money and they don't care. Right. They were elected and they feel that they have the right to do that. And I think that's why we need to make sure that our voters are educated as to understanding what the consequences of these elections are. And, and it's not just always the White House and Congress. It's what's happening in the state. It's what's happening at the attorneys general's offices. It's what's happening at the district attorneys as we see these George Soros funded district attorneys who refuse to lock up criminals, but will certainly go after you and your ability to exercise your Second Amendment rights. Well, that's something that I thought was settled case law. And I know that there's been some serious uh, lawsuits for violating people's civil rights over the past. You know, the ACLU has got involved with certain ones. There's that 18 U.S. Code uh, 242, which is the deviation of rights under the color of law. And if people are continuing to do this and willfully and knowingly violating their rights and in a lot of cases their uh, our rights and their oath of office by continuing to try to violate our rights, rights there's there's precedent that they can help be held uh financially responsible for that and liable under law like how come we haven't figured out a way to make that argument in a um in a lawsuit to to anyone who wishes to you know, deprive me of my constitutional liberties. Sure. You're absolutely right. I mean, these these are things that should be considered. But, but again, when we start looking at some of these laws that they're talking about, Colorado recently introduced a bill it's called SB 168. Colorado was going to look to change the laws in their state. Now, they had it so that you could not sue, just like the Public the, the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act says, you can't sue a fire manufacturer for the criminal actions by a remote third party. There was a very similar law in, in, that was uh, in Colorado. Well, they wanted to change that law because a couple of years ago, Brady United, the gun control group, convinced a family that was a victim of the Aurora uh, atrocity that happened there. They convinced, they convinced this family to take this lawsuit forward, knowing that it was going to be a loser lawsuit, knowing that it, it doesn't pass the basic tests of, of the fundamental understanding of tort law, knowing that the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act would have stopped this, knowing that Colorado state law would have, is going to stop this. They took that forward anyway. When the case was dismissed, Brady left that family high and dry with $200,000 in debt. Wow. And and that family ended up going bankrupt. Now, that's negligence on the part of Brady. That right. is just straight out using and abusing a victim family uh, to advance their political agenda. Well, that family, of course, is, feels burned. And so they went to the lawmaker saying, we need something changed. Well, SB 168 was going to turn the law completely on its head. That said that you could bring these lawsuits forward. And even if you lost as a, as a plaintiff in this, you could still saddle the defendant with your legal fees. Well, that's just putting out the clarion call for every ambulance chasing lawyer to come out and just sue the heck out of anybody because they know they're going to get paid one way or the other. And they know it's not going to be on the plaintiff. So there's no, there's no reason to stop 
and, and consider the lawsuits that you're putting forward and whether or not it's going to have any kind of harm to you for putting forth a baseless lawsuit, for abusing the courts to advance that political agenda. Mm. Now, thankfully, a lot of the pressure that we've been putting on and other groups have been putting on into Colorado, we reached out to you know manufacturers, we reached out to a lot of your uh, online media, your, your content creators, because they could have been wrapped up in this if they showed you how to use a piece of equipment and that, that piece of equipment happened to appear at a crime scene later, well, then they could have been sued too. So a lot of these content creators who are showing you what the latest and greatest is in the market and how to properly use it and attach it to a firearm, they became concerned too. So now the governor has actually gone down and said, well, we see a lot of bad gun control bills being pushed. This is one, thankfully, the governor said, slow your roll, rewrite it, strip some of this stuff out because it just doesn't make sense. So we see that the pressure works. It, it, it is an uphill fight in a lot of these states, uh, but we have to stay engaged. We have to continue to fight on these things. Yeah, I mean, the, the that's the sad side of it is that no matter how many times politicians have been told that what they're about to do is unconstitutional, they do it anyway, knowing that it's just going to get jammed up in the court systems and uh, look at look at the president himself yeah. he comes out nearly weekly and, mm. and demands that he wants an assault weapons ban but yet nobody in his administration could define what an assault weapon is the definition of course that we're given by by senator feinstein and, and her legislation that she's put forth s25 is the senate bill it is still relies on the on the characteristics uh, the cosmetic features of this of this rifle of the ar-15 we're talking about telescoping stocks by barrel shrouds muzzle flash hiders uh you know, uh, you know detachable magazines that can have a capacity greater than 10 rounds these are all cosmetic features that have nothing to do with the function of the firearm. And if we start to look deeper in that law, because it's much different than, than the law she was able to pass in 1994, this actually goes through and bans some of your most popular hunting shotguns to include the Benelli SB3, to include some Mossberg models, Beretta models. So some of your most, you know, some of your favorite duck hunting shotguns would go out the window with this too. So we pointed this legislation up, but again, we have the president week after week saying, I want this, but like you had alluded to earlier, under the Bruin decision and the Heller decision, Heller said that any firearm that is in common use, commonly owned, is protected for constitutional is protected by the Constitution for for the right to keep and bear arms. There are over twenty four point four million modern sporting rifles in circulation today. That's more rifles in circulation today than there are Ford F one fifties on the road. Certainly common use by any standard. And again, the Bruin decision says the only test when it comes to whether or not a, a law for you know, gun control is constitutional is the Second Amendment itself. There is no more interest balancing test than a lot of the courts are doing. So that has been thrown out. You have to balance. You have to bounce it against the Second Amendment. Does it infringe upon your right to keep and bear arms? And if it does, it's unconstitutional. Yeah, and there's also uh, legal precedent that the states cannot violate your federal rights. And yet we've seen eight or nine states, the state I live in is one of them, that continually squashes our rights. And, you know, even under that definition you just said from Heller, the common and ordinary gun, the two most common and ordinary guns in this country, I would say, are number one, the AR-15 as far as a rifle is concerned, and Two, as far as a pistol is concerned, is Glock pistols. 
And neither of those can be purchased over the counter at a gun shop in Massachusetts unless they are pre-ban. You know, we're still living under that 94 assault weapons ban mess here in Massachusetts. But uh, and then a Glock, a Gen 2, you know, pre-98 Glock is the only way I can sell one, except to law enforcement. It's funny how they're always exempt from these bans, but uh, especially as the... um, the handgun roster is, you know, guns that are, if it's not on the roster, it's deemed unsafe. So, but yet we allow our law enforcement agencies to use these unsafe guns as, as you know, on duty while they're on the job. So I find that ironic. But the point is, they're banning the guns that are most common in common and ordinary use from my ability, even though that interstate commerce law says that they can't. You know, they can't ban it, but uh, the state can't override federal law or federal constitutional rights. And I know they make the argument, well, oh, it doesn't say a specific gun. It just says a gun. So the fact that you have a gun available to you means we're not restricting your right to keep and bear arms, which I think that's a pretty uh, ridiculous argument when I could say, yeah, but the one I want, which Heller like you pointed out, says the one that's in common and ordinary use, the one the people want, is the one that you can't restrict. But that's exactly what my state does. Yeah, it is, it is unfortunate. It is very difficult for folks like yourself in Massachusetts. You know, it's prior to the Bruin decision, you had uh, several of the justices who were constantly complaining that the court was not taking up, the U.S. Supreme Court was not taking up Second Amendment cases. And Justice Thomas had, had been quoted several times as saying that the Second Amendment was being treated as a second-class right. And that's what you're seeing happening in states like yours. The glimmer of hope for folks like yourself in Massachusetts is, is watching what's happening in California. And the, and the federal courts out there have found that California's unsafe handgun uh, law is, is uh, unconstitutional. And, of course, the attorney general there is, is appealing to the Ninth Circuit to get a stay on that. We, we expect it will still be a drawn-out battle. It will still be these legal maneuvers, these legal machinations never move quickly. Uh, and, and that's, you know, sometimes a good thing. As, as frustrating as it must be for us on this side, it, it is a good thing, uh, you know, when it comes to protecting our rights as well, that they're, they're not swinging, uh, you know, back and forth on these like a pendulum. But California's unsafe handgun roster was predicated on uh, a couple of things. So first was the micro-stamping requirement. And a micro-stamping requirement, even the the patent holder on this technology, Todd Lazat, has testified that it is unreliable. You can't always predict that it's going to have a legible micro-stamp imprinted on the primer of that cartridge that's going to be able to lead you to be able to identify where that where that uh, firearm was, was used every, each and every time. On top of that, it can be easily defeated with, with a nail file or just replacing the fire pin altogether. So they know that this doesn't work. Uh, so these are things that were keeping the handgun roster there, limiting down. When attorney then Attorney General Kamala Harris had, had certified this law, there were over you know about eight hundred handguns, seven hundred, eight hundred handguns that were available for sale in California. Hmm. Well, as of about a year or two ago, that had been down to less than half. There were less than three hundred when you started to take apart different models that just had different paint schemes that were still available for sale. And that is a slow rolling gun ban in California. That's what you're facing in in Massachusetts, a slow rolling gun ban. And these things should be challenged for what they are. They are slow rolling gun bans to deny you your Second Amendment rights. Yeah. Um, 
interestingly enough, uh, you know, just talking with a manufacturer about um, our approved weapons roster, and hopefully we'll see some positive movement. Firearms Policy Coalition just had a successful outcome in in getting uh, the approved weapons roster challenge sent back down to district court so we could actually have our day in court because it got dismissed because it was previously upheld uh, in that two-step kind of public interest process that has been, you know, upholding this unconstitutional gun control for so many years. Upholding a lot of bad laws. Yeah. 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 But now it's going to go have its day in court, which is great. Um, But what's interesting is I was just speaking to a manufacturer and I asked them like, oh, you got a new gun coming out. Is it going to be on the mass approved weapons roster? And they said, yes, but we were told something very interesting by um, the the state. I, we submitted the gun for testing and they rejected it because it hasn't been released to the public yet. And I said, what? And this makes a lot of sense now because – Usually when a new gun gets released, everybody calls my shop and's like, hey, can we buy this in Massachusetts yet? I'm like, no, I'm sorry, it's still not tested. And it takes about a year for it to go through the process and get caught up. And I'm like, why don't these manufacturers send the gun like prior to the release so that when it's released, they can also say, hey, and it's mass approved, which would be amazing. So we could yeah. participate in the, uh, the gun that the rest of the country can have at the same time. And he yeah. said, yeah, we were told that they won't accept a submission until it has been released to the public. And I, I mean, that was like a slap upside the head. Today was the very first time I'd ever heard that. But yet, on the approved firearms roster, they have this Armatix IP1 smart gun yeah. that has been put on the roster since the roster was out. It must have been given honorary status without ever having to go to <laughs> testing. And the gun never was released. It's not a gun I can go buy anywhere. I've so, seen pictures of it. Yeah. Uh, I've seen it shoot once on video. <laughs> and I wasn't able to repeat the shot. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's interesting, yeah, that the, the, the approved technology that, that a lot of these gun control uh, elected officials want to push forward uh, gets the rubber stamp very quickly. And obviously we saw the same problems with that in New Jersey when New Jersey wrote a law that said as soon as one of these guns becomes available to the public, every gun shop has to carry one. Well, that's not letting the market decide. And that's where we kind of stand as in the SSF. Let the market decide. We right. live in a free society. We live in a capitalistic society. If the public demand is there for it, then let the public demand it, right. and we'll see if it happens. But don't mandate it. Don't make it happen. And that's what we're concerned about is that – and that's what you see, you know, states like Massachusetts automatically, yeah, we'll approve that because they want to push that through and make it a mandate. Mm. And, of course, it becomes a concern for your safety and my safety. We've already seen instances – would the states have gone in and shut down people's air conditioning during the summer when it was becoming peak hours? Mm-hmm. We've seen where people have been limited on their water because of water use. We see California rolling through slow rolling brownouts and blackouts because they can't manage their electrical grid. And so what happens when it comes time to, for you to be able to protect yourself? Do you want that ability to protect yourself to be hampered when someone could shut down your gun? Because if it's controlled by electronics, it can be controlled outside of your hands. And that's a concern. Yeah, that's a thought I'd never even thought of before. But you're right. You could certainly uh, shut the switch off on the gun if it's an electronic device and it's enabled by some sort of 
electronic technology, but uh, that's that's a crazy thought. Um, hey, Mark, we got to go to break, so just hold on one sec. And we're here uh, with Mark from the NSSF, who's doing a phenomenal job here, educating us on what the NSSF does uh, for the community and for the gun community at large. And uh, we appreciate your time. And uh, you don't want to go anywhere. You want to stay tuned for the rest of the show, and we'll continue this conversation. If you have a question for Mark or myself, it's 508-444-2120. If you want to be on the show, uh, we still got lots to talk about. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is Rapid Fire. The firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. We are here with Mark from the NSSF, and uh, we appreciate you guys listening, and you can always call or text the show, 508-444-2120, if you have any questions. Uh, I just wanted to complete that thought that we were just talking about before the break, and I mentioned it in the first hour a little bit about how uh, the government is required by law to hold themselves to a certain standard. And when they don't, and I'm pointing out a perfect example of this with this whole Armatix pistol that's never been released to market that's on the list, but yet when a major manufacturer wants to add a gun to the roster, they say, oh, wait a minute, it's not available to the public yet, so we're not going to accept it. Um, It's kind of a two-tiered justice system, as we see in so many different ways in our society. Um, And also, our government officials are required by law to process a license to carry within 40 days and we never see it we see 60 to 90 days all the time and when you say hey you know you're required by law to respond within 40 days like yeah that never happens you know and they laugh about it it's like where's the why can't we hold your feet to the fire why can't we make you do your job within the prescribed amount of time that the legislature enacted the law for and yet you get to ride you get to do whatever you want and but yet there's zero tolerance as it relates to everyone else. I you know it's I know I'm kind of preaching in the choir here, but uh, that's the stuff that we're up against in a state like Massachusetts, where uh, you know people don't have um, any interest in holding government officials accountable for their lack of performance in their daily duties. But yet they're very uh, interested in you know making sure that. We can't buy a Glock pistol or buy an AR-15 or buy any other constitutionally protected uh, weapon that, you know, our founders bled and died to preserve 
for, for generations to come. So anyway, I know I'm venting a little bit. <laughs> um, Mark, we just went through a uh, pretty substantial process that I fully didn't even understand when we opened. And this July will be the ninth anniversary of Cape Gunworks. Um, and we had big dreams and, you know, big vision for what we were going to do. And the NSSF was a great resource for us when we started the whole process. I I remember buying, like, uh, number one, we joined uh, as a range and retailer about three years before we had built a range because that was what our dreams were, you know, to build an indoor state-of-the-art firing range. And we took advantage of unbelievable resources by the NSSF, demographic market studies, uh, you know, all these resources for retailers to make them better at their at what they do, uh, all kinds of uh, business practices, SOPs, F, you know, for the FFL and also resources with how to interact with the ATF and everything else. I was blown away with the vast amount of resources that the NSSF had and it certainly helped us in the whole process of building the facility that we have today. And even we opened this facility six years ago, um, but we just recently acquired the five-star rating by the NSSF. And what's funny is I thought the day we turned the lock on the door and hung the shingle out front that said we're open for business would be eligible. But the process actually proved otherwise. Like we could have submitted, but we probably would have fallen short of the high standard that the five-star status uh, brings. And just going through the process year after year, like how close are we now? Can we submit now? Uh, made us better as a retailer, made us better as a range, made us better with SOPs, made us, you know, be a more um, spit and polished organization, if you will. Uh, so, you know, that's obviously a big part of the NSSF is helping retailers. And I'm sure you have similar resources to the manufacturers, the distributors, the, you know, uh, ranges and in, in, in other areas as well. Um, you guys do an amazing job at providing that level of resource to the to us the, the I guess the direct customer ultimately the end user is is a customer but uh, you know for for us and that's something that NSSF has continued with shot show I take advantage of the shot university and you guys really knock it out of the park when you do that whole uh, you know shot university and the shot show itself I think is just this epic, uh, event of you know so much going on product announcements unveiling and every it's the big event of the year for the gun industry yeah. yeah yeah so so i think you probably want to tell your listeners one more time how many stars all five <laughs> all five and that's pretty significant and like you said it was a pretty exhaustive process for you to go through and our membership team and, our, and specifically our range and retail guy zach snow who, who kind of heads up that whole five-star program I mean, it is it is something that he takes a lot of pride in to make sure that when we say five star, these are businesses that are doing everything right. They are the leaders that we want other shops to emulate. Mm. And this is pretty pretty significant achievement to be able to get there and to stay there. 
So it, it is something I think that you should be proud of and you should be bragging about. But again, we're talking about you. You had mentioned earlier before that you know, all the resources that are available to you. Well, I work on the government relations side of the house and do policy communications for all the work that we're trying to do on Capitol Hill and in the States and, and trying to, you know, continue to fight so we can be able to bring that gun to the gun counter for the customer. Uh, the membership team is, is doing a phenomenal job to make sure that you guys have the latest and greatest to be able to stay at the cutting edge of meeting your customers' needs, to understand what's happening in the market, where those trends are going, what your customers are telling you that you need to understand of this is what we want this is what we're looking for and this is how we want to deliver to us mm-hmm. and that is a, a pretty important side of it it's it's easy to think we can just make guns and make them available but there's the whole retail side of this mm-hmm. it's making sure that your customers feel welcome in your store how do you bring them in how do you make sure that they're able to see all the inventory that you have how do you make sure it's presentable simple things like even we saw from the manufacturer side of the point you know if, if you think about you know 10 years ago in, in marketing guns toward women and we see that women are just an incredibly fast-growing segment of the firearm market today. Well, the idea 10 years ago was to pink it and shrink it, right? Was to put some hot pink on it and, and make it bedazzled and then put it out on the shelf and they'll love it. And, well, that was a, a very you know short-sighted approach to it. We see now is that we've got companies that are sitting down talking with women and asking them, what is it that you're looking for? So if we look at companies like Smith & Wesson with their EZ line, now, you know, Smith and Wesson sat down and talked with them, and, and and one of the first things that women said is, we want to make sure that the firearm that we're using is going to be safe. So one of the things they incorporated into that was that grip safety and that beaver tail safety. So they make sure that they have that in there. They also simple things like we may not think too much about as guys, or it will just hand jam and, and tear up our thumbs driving you know uh, rounds into magazines. Women thought that was an issue, mm. so they they hollowed out that magazine so you could pull the follower down instead of having to hand jam it down. You know, they, they made sure that that recoil slide, uh, that, that, that spring on there was, was manageable and, and something that you could operate. I can literally take the easy with two fingers and operate that recoil, operate that slide. So it would become much more easy for someone like my wife to be able to handle that where I may use something that has a much stiffer spring and a lot greater re, uh, recoil on that. Uh, but it's not just them. I mean, you look at at at, uh, at Weatherby. Weatherby with their Camilla rifle did the same thing. They sat down. And they said, "Okay, the average rifle doesn't fit a woman's body the same way it fits a man's body." So they started looking at it and started taking the the amalgamation of, of the measurements from a woman's body and made that that length of pull a little bit shorter on the Camilla, so it fit women better. So there, you've got manufacturers that are thinking about meeting their market where they're at. We saw a couple of years ago during COVID, of course, firearm sales went through the roof. We had 21.5 million background checks for the sale of a firearm in 2020. We had 18.5 million in 2021. We had 16.4 million in 2022. We see it coming down off the highs, but it's still much higher than it was in 2019 when there were just 13.2 million. So the, the industry is continuing to maintain a very fast pace of selling firearms. But we also saw that we, we saw segments of our society coming into the, into the stores to be able to buy firearms that we hadn't seen in these numbers before. We saw a 58% increase of African-Americans coming in to buy firearms in 2020. We saw a 49% increase of Hispanic Americans and a 43% increase of Asian Americans. And that told us is that today's gun buyer 
looks the more like the rest of America because they are the rest of America. They're not me. They're not a middle-aged white guy living in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. They're the rest of America. So to understand where our customers are coming from and what their needs are, why are they buying the gun that they're looking for? Predominantly in 2020, it was for concerns about personal safety and self-defense. So people were looking for self-defense use, semi-automatic handguns. Those, right. And we see year after year in any given year, over half the firearms that are sold in any given year are semi-automatic handguns, mm-hmm. the kind that you can conceal. You could carry concealed on your body every day or use in your own for self-defense. So these kinds of things are important for you, and that's, those are the kind of services that our membership team, our research folks, all those people who are delivering those products to you so that you can be successful in the market. So, you know, smart on you, and, and we hope that anybody else who's, who's who's tuning in and has another store is listening about it thinking, yeah, well, these resources are available to you as a member. Anybody can have, a, have at them as long as you have that membership. And that's what's going to make us all better as an industry. You know, steel sharp and steel, right? So if you're going to make a, a five-star range there at Cape Gunworks, then we're hoping that the next range is going to – you know, give you a little competition and make you raise the bar again. And we want to see that people are comfortable, safe, and enjoying the shooting sports. Yeah, that's a win for everybody in the in the end. If uh, we we joke about making the moat deeper and wider and the walls higher around our business by every improvement we do, but that's part joke, part good for the industry. So in other words, if somebody does move into town and do a better job of what we're doing, already doing, guess who wins? The consumer. You know, So if they come in and they outmaneuver us at our own game, hey, my hat's off to them. They, they did it and they did a better job. And yeah, they had to spend a bucket ton of money, but they did it. And, uh, you know, the end consumer is the winner in that. Uh, I think that, you know, like you said, iron sharpens iron. And so, you know, the industry had to change. It was stalled out in this horrible, uh, you know, dusty old 1987, you know, look. And I think it had to change in order to expand the tent and get more people under it. And that's what's been going on, I think, for the last, you know, 15, 20 years. And I think the industry has pivoted in a much better way, in a positive way. They've done a lot for, um, and I I know that one of the other resources NSSF has provided to us is the whole, uh, you know, mental health and and suicide awareness and, and whatnot. Like, if we don't do this as an industry, then you can bet dollars to donuts that the government is going to mandate that we do it in a way that we don't like and mandate that we do it in an unacceptable way that violates our freedoms more than ever. Uh, You know, we play it all the time. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Those are the nine scariest words or whatever it is that that you could ever hear, you know, but it's true too, because if we don't do it as an industry, then they're certainly going to do it, and they might anyway, even if we are doing it. But- yeah, and I'm glad you brought it up. So these are programs that we call our Real Solutions Safer Communities program. They're all under one umbrella, but they're really kind of, you know, several programs that we've had in place for many years. Sometimes they were kind of in their own silos. We've kind of brought those all together. You talked about the suicide awareness, suicide prevention. You know, several years ago, you know, we recognized that we weren't the suicide experts. And, you know, two-thirds of the suicides that are committed, you know, I think the number may have gone down just a little 
slightly, but you know, we recognized at the time that about two-thirds of the suicides that, that were committed were being committed with firearms. And, and we're not the suicide experts, but we went to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. They are the leading suicide prevention organization in America. And we partnered with them. They realized that they wanted to make inroads in this as well, but they didn't have credibility in the gun world. And we didn't have the expertise of suicide prevention. So we came together to be able to provide those resources for you guys at the ranges and retailers to you know, have that for your customers. We call that having a brave conversation. We've all recognized when somebody may be just a little bit off and something's not quite right. So we want to provide people the tools that they can have that brave conversation and know where they can reach out for the resources to get their friends and loved ones the help they need. You know, I'm not the only one that's done this. I've showed up at the door. I'm a retired Marine. I've showed up at the door of a fellow Marine uh, in the middle of the night, rain, pouring down rain, because I knew that he was he was hitting a point where he was suicidal. And and there was a knock on the door, a big hug telling him, hey, you know, I'm not leaving tonight. You know why I'm here. And the next question was, where are all your firearms? Mm. And, you know, and, he, and he knew he knew I was there because I loved him. So right. I took I took possession of his firearms while we knew he was getting the help he needed. Thank God he's alive today. He's married. He's things are going wonderful for him. Yeah. And he has his firearms back. We didn't have to seize his firearms from him. We just had to create time and distance. And that's just one of the programs. We have our Project Child Safe program. We handed out over 40 million gun locks to 15,000 law enforcement agencies free of charge to everybody to make sure that a firearm that is not in use is locked up and, and unavailable to those who are, can't be trusted with it. Prohibited individuals, people who are suffering through a mental health crisis, unsupervised children. You know, we have our, our Don't Lie for the Other Guy program that you've probably heard about there at the retails. We try to warn people that if you try to buy a firearm for somebody else and you lie on that 4473, you're risking 15 years in jail and a $250,000 fine. If that firearm is trafficked across the state line, it's another 15 years on top of that. Mm. Just don't do it. It's not worth it. We have our, our Operation secure store program. We're helping retailers like yourself to be able to secure their inventory to prevent some of these smash and grabs that are coming in. Because we know when people are coming in to steal a firearm, they're not doing it so they can feed their family. They're going to do it so, do something terrible in your community. Mm. So we're helping to prevent those. And the ATF's own statistics have shown that this program is working. It is driving that number down of the number of, of smash and grabs, number of burglaries, burglaries, robberies, the numbers of, of firearms that are being stolen are going down and it's, it's successful. We can, we're continuing to push on that program. Yeah. Well, that's all, all really important work. And, uh, you know, the story you told, uh, I've been in in a similar situation where I've had to, you know, help. Actually, I got a gun in my possession right now that uh, a wife had asked me to hold uh, because she was fearful her husband was going to use it. And uh, so, you know, I have it in my possession to this day. It's been months and months. I haven't heard back from her recently. But, um, you know, that it, I'm willing to do the work. And like you said, showing up on someone's doorstep in the middle of the night in a rainstorm is showing that you care and showing that you love someone. And you, you sometimes it's hard work. It's, it's the right thing to do. But sometimes it's very difficult work. It means we got to roll up our sleeves. We got to you know, be the shoulder to let someone, you know, cry on or, or vent to or, or rage on or whatever the situation is that they're going through. And it really comes down to being a, a true friend, a true brother, a true sister, and, uh, you know, not your brother's keeper, but your brother's brother, you know, somebody that 
they can really rely on. And that's contagious, that, that spreads, and that's, that's really important work. And I think everybody in the gun industry really needs to have a finger on the pulse of that. So that will make difference, you know, one life at a time. And, uh, you know, I appreciate and applaud you for doing that. And I've certainly, uh, I, I was once traveled halfway across the country to be with a friend. And uh, I was only in town for one night. We had dinner plans. And uh, we were going to go out uh, to dinner. And, and um, that, that night, things changed. He was helping someone going through a, a crisis just like that. And, it, you know, I, I took a back seat to it and said, no problem. I'll see you next time I'm in town, man. That's obviously something you have to deal with. And, uh, but it's basically akin to an intervention. And uh, that's, that's what happened. And it might be just take someone's barrel, take their slide, take their, you know, you don't have to take the serialized part of the gun and make these weird, like, depending on what state you live in, a, did a transfer happen? And just, yep. just take it apart and take a slide and take a, take a barrel or something and, you know, or, or a few of them if they have a lot of guns and, and get them the help they need, send them to walk the talk America and do a health evaluation and whatnot and, and uh, so anyway, that's uh, that's all good stuff. I think it's great that the NSSF, as the w- body of work that they've done, just helping me as a retailer, you know that like your side of things is on the political front. And I'm sure there's that same volume of work helping that whole side of things and being done and with lawyers and paralegals and legal minds and whatnot. And then you got the whole industry side of things. You guys are a multifaceted, multi-pronged approach that uh you know gets into the nuance of everyday gun ownership all the way up to the highest levels of uh of you know firearms manufacturing and sops and range retail and all that so man i don't know how you guys sleep at night but it's uh (laughs) (laughs) it's 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 a pretty small team but i tell you we've got a dedicated group of folks and and it's uh it's amazing to see the work that they do anybody who's been to shot show will will tell you that it is uh it is it is enormous Uh, i tell anybody who's planning to go for their first time you have to have comfortable walking shoes you have to have a plan and you have to have a lot of good hand sanitizer so it's uh it it is you're never going to see everything you want so you got to be able to make sure that you have a plan to see the things that you need to but you're going to see every walk of life in there you're going to see every race creed and color you're going to see uh you know the entire age gamut from 18 on up to 80 and and they're all going to be in there with the same passion of of you know what our industry is bringing forward. This is this is not a small industry. Uh, when we start to look at it in the big grand scheme of things, it may seem kind of small, but it is growing, and it has been growing each and every year. And, and we're making more and more impact and more and more contributions to our communities. Our taxes are paying for those ball fields that our kids are paying on. Our taxes, uh, 1.15 billion of, of the excise taxes that were paid by the manufacturers of firearms and ammunition was paid back to the states so we could have better conservation in our states. I was recently uh, up there in Massachusetts uh, doing a bear den study with, with Massachusetts Wildlife. And, mm. and, you know, the serums that they're using, the radio collars, the GPS collars, everything else that they're using to track the bear population in Massachusetts is coming out of 
uh, you know, the Pittman Robertson excise taxes that are being paid by these manufacturers. The lead, the lead biologist that was taking us out there was able to finish his master's program to learn about managing wildlife populations in a responsible way because of the Pittman Robertson excise taxes that were able to help him finish his degree. So it's paying us back in dividends, you know, to, to be able to have that and, and see the industry grow and be able to do more and be able to contribute more to the things that we love is just amazing to see from, from my perspective. And I'm, and I, that's, I'm just so passionate about being able to share that with others just to say, you know, give them a glimpse of what happens, mm-hmm. you know, under the hood, if you will, to see what's going on in the industry. Yeah. One quick question coming in from the chat uh, from KJ. He says, hasn't the U.S. already forfeited the assault weapons ban by moving most ARs and AKs, et cetera, from the State Department to commerce control for exports? I don't know if. Yeah, so I'm going to speak to that a little bit. So the 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 U.S. munitions list to commerce to commerce control list was uh, was a moving the the export of firearms out of. Uh, State Department control, which had a lot more checks and boxes to the Commerce Department. What it, it what it did was actually created a higher and higher box, but a much narrower footprint around those boxes. Uh, sporting arms were in the same category as tanks, jet fighters, missiles, and rockets, uh, and they certainly don't belong there. It, it, what the law didn't do was change. Uh, any laws in those host countries. So if Britain was ex- importing a U.S. made firearm, they were not, we weren't forcing down their throat, you know, semi-automatic and modern sporting rifles, which they ban. Uh, what we did was just make it easier for a company that was making uh, a good, you know, bolt action rifle, making a good semi-automatic shotgun, making a good handgun to be able to export that with uh, less checks and balances that were uh, just duplicitous and, and cumbersome and was actually making a lot of U.S.-based companies just sit on the sideline because there was a, it was a, a threshold of a million dollars on some of those contracts that any senator could have gone in and put a, put a hold on at any time. I want to look into it deeper. We're not going to allow that contract to go forward. Well, that went away. Mm-hmm. So now the Commerce Department is being able to have that. It actually created a better check system to, to make sure we're a more efficient check system on where those firearms are ending up. So there's a, a, a beginning-to-end user uh, verification of who's getting those firearms. So when a U.S.-based manufacturer is going to export those those firearms to another country, they know exactly where that firearm is going to end up. They're, it's going to end up at you know Cape Gunworks in New Zealand somewhere. Or it's going to end up in you know it's going to end up in some you know gun shop somewhere. They know exactly where it's going to end up, and that person's been verified or that business has been verified as to not be an illegal arms dealer. So we're not we're making sure that U.S.-made firearms are not ending up on the black market. Uh, by with the new commerce control list. So it made it a little bit easier, a little bit more level playing field. So U.S. manufacturers who are many times just sitting out because the contracts would just, they'd be proposed and they would just go away because the, the duplicative system would make bog everything down. Now they're able to compete with your international makers. And while we have, you know, Benelli and, and Beretta, U.S. Uh, manufacturer or in assembly here, you also have to compete with Beretta, Benelli in Italy. So it, it made the U.S.-based manufacturers more competitive with with those overseas manufacturers. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the things that's frustrating for me at, at times as a retailer is the nuance of like a gun that gets imported that's going to be brought in in parts and assembled here because it's a non-sporting firearm and mm-hmm. it has to have so many U.S.-made parts and blah, blah, blah. And like, uh, or, you know, companies, I think that's one of the reasons FN brought their manufacturing of the SCAR over to Columbia, South Carolina, because 
they were, you know, not 922R compliant or something like that. But uh, the ATF, maybe you, you know about that. But uh, <laughs> someone goes, did they just accidentally leak the new Cape Gunworks New Zealand location? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, if you're uh, opening a shop, I want to come visit you there. Right? Yeah, I I think I'd be limited to bolt action rifles that are highly restricted. <laughs> However, uh, I wouldn't mind going there to hunt someday. That would be amazing. But anyway, um, getting back to what I was saying, so you know, ultimately the gun ends up being sold in this country anyway. It just has to go through a higher burden of proof, and it was all part of I think the Hughes Amendment, or or maybe not the Hughes Amendment, but it was one of those you know, 1980s bills that made it uh, that 922R compliant, you know, the non-sporting rifle act or whatever the heck it was, um, where now you got to, if it has a detachable mag and a pistol grip or doesn't have a sporting purpose, then it has to have so many U.S. made parts. Do you see that ever changing or is that something that's we're stuck with? You know, I, I think it might be something we're stuck with for a while. I understand exactly what you're talking about. I think when people start thinking of it, most firearms that they'll think of is either something like the SCAR, which FN did bring over. Sentry uh, Arms has to go through this where they have to make sure that a lot of the firearms they're uh, producing mm-hmm. are, are cobbled together with, with enough U.S.-based parts. Uh, to make sure that it that is a, a meeting that rule, uh, you know, when when you're trying to change law and you're trying to change regulation, uh, it is it is uh, you know ten to twelve to maybe sometimes twenty year effort. Uh, so if we look at, you know, some of the changes that we've tried to make to laws, uh, you know, when we talked about, we, we were able to make a change a couple of years ago um, to uh, a law that would allow the states to be able to access those Pittman-Robertson funds to be able to build new ranges uh, in a shorter amount of time and, and have a greater access to that money. Well, that was tried over 14 different bills over 11 years in Congress. And every time, you know, it had great bipartisan support, but it was always part of some bigger bill, some sportsman's package or some energy package. And it was just so big that the bill would fall under its own weight and it never made it across the finish line. And we were finally able to get it done a couple of years ago, and it makes a much more efficient process now. When you're talking about, we talked about the U.S. munitions list to commerce control list. That was uh, something that was actually started under the Obama administration. And the Obama administration wanted to, you know, modernize a lot of the import-export rules, and, and we started with then working with the administration to modernize those rules, and it didn't get done then, and it and it went through, uh, you know, all eight years of the Obama administration, and it was finally able to get done uh, during the Trump administration, so, you know, some of these things take a lot of time. I think that's probably one of those that, that we're going to be stuck with for some time. Uh, I don't see that it changing anytime soon. Uh, some people may look at it and say, well, it's actually better because now we're having some U.S., you know, manufacturing happening here. So, you know, there may be those parts, those parts makers, those OEM guys who, who want to be very happy to make those parts to make sure that they're keeping jobs here in the States. Uh, but I know that there's a demand signal for some of these firearms that do come in from some of these other countries that don't meet that sporting test purpose. So it's right. – and, and obviously, you know, some of the firearms we've talked about, you know, meet that description. So it, it's – I think it's probably something we're going to be living with for some time. Yeah, I mean, ironically, I I appreciate the fact that more of the guns that, you know, in this non-sporting configuration, even though plenty of people use them for sporting uses, are made in America. But on the other hand, it it presents another just obstacle to get the gun that you actually want. And a lot of people are like, um, no, I want the B&T and I want the, you know, HK, you know, 
94 or whatever in its original configuration. I don't want it with American-made parts. I want it all original to, you know, but whatever. I get it. We're, we're stuck yeah. with it for a while. Especially for your collectors. Yeah, yeah right. Especially. Yeah. Um, um, why don't you take a, uh, a few minutes, if you don't mind, Mark, and uh, just, you know, we, we're about to be done here and it's been a riveting conversation i i appreciate your time you, you know great guests i know from the chat a lot of people are really loving this uh all the info you've been giving us and uh why don't you just let our listeners hear uh from you about like how they can follow some of the work that nssf does how, how can they support or be a help if they want to get involved in anything like that is there anything that they can do um and can individual people join the NSSF or is it just an industry partner? Yeah. So the, the NSSF is just an industry uh, organization. So it's, it, our membership is, is limited to, you know, retailers ranges. Uh, it's limited to, you know, some endemic media that, that write about guns and hunting uh, in the manufacturers the, and the distributors. That, that's who we serve. And we want to make sure that we are, we're keeping within uh, what it means to be a trade association. So we haven't had individual memberships for a number of years uh, that went away shortly after I came on board uh, several years ago. So, um, but people can be involved. Now, they can always go to NSSF.org. Uh, and if you click on the media tab, you'll see under there that there are blogs that we post, uh, you know, several times a week. Uh, posted one up today uh, talking about the, the rise of African-American gun ownership in America and, and you know, why it is so closely tied with, with that, those communities that aren't feeling safe where they live anymore. Uh, so we're, we're posting stuff up that's relevant to the industry of what, what it means to be part of this industry, what it means to exercise your Second Amendment rights, uh, some of those cases that we're involved with. And obviously, if they're in Massachusetts, you've seen these cases with uh, you know Mexico trying to draw in a lot of these gun manufacturers and Crazy. sue. Uh, so we're always talking about those things. You can go to, go to Twitter, everywhere else. We'll find us. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark Olivia from the NSSF. And I appreciate you being on the show. And that's the end of the show. But thank you for tuning in, and remember the show ends here, but you can always tune in at rapidfireradio.us or call uh, call or text the Rapid Fire line 508-444-2120. And keep up the good fight, support your local community, and be an advocate for, for responsible gun ownership. Together as Americans, we can overcome. I'm Toby Leary. God bless. We will see you next week on Rapid Fire.